welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 50, recorded on December 9th, 2019. The smart choice would have been to go back to the room. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Happy Monday. Uh, you know, we had a pretty big event last week that we should kind of uh, talk about real quick, and that is uh, the, the Cloud Pod's a year old today. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we uh, we brainstormed this idea last year uh, at a little conference called Reinvent, and uh, the first show was the post show. So technically, this is the annual or the the uh, first year anniversary, even though we're only on episode fifty. Uh, that's Jonathan's fault, though. So it's it's okay. Uh, vacations incurring into the into the show. That's all right. But uh, beyond the uh, the happy birthday to the podcast, uh, which we're super excited about here, uh, this is also uh, the week after reInvent. And so you guys all were, joined us uh, last week in reInvent. We saw many of you out on the show floor. Uh, we gave out stickers. We met people. We were super happy to do all that. Uh, and we do have a special guest with us today. Uh, Ryan Lucas is joining us once again. Hi, Ryan. How's it going? Good. It's going good. How about uh, Jonathan Peter? How are you guys doing out there? Hanging in there. I'm still alive, just about. I can start to feel myself again after last week. I'm surprised Ryan made you back, though. <laughs> I have a lot of practice. Uh, I, I've not caught up on my sleep, though. I uh, was trying to do show notes earlier and was trying not to put myself to sleep. We have a, quite a show, quite a action-packed. So we, uh, we thought we'd be smart and we'd record on the 20th of November, thinking, you know, of course, you know, Thanksgiving, Amazon's going to be quiet before their big conference, and that was completely wrong. <laughs> so uh, there was about 80-plus announcements that happened between the last time we recorded a show and the reInvent start, which we count as Sunday night. Uh, and then there were 61 announcements at uh, reInvent. So we are going to cover um, the highlights, <laughs> the lowlights, uh, those type of things. Uh, we will not cover everything. It will all be in the show notes, uh, and these show notes for you, if you haven't looked at them, are brand new. Now have a lovely uh, show note writer to help us out here on the show, which we are super excited about. Uh, and that will also be available to you as a newsletter uh, that you can sign up for at thecloudpod.net, uh, where you can sign right up there for the newsletter and get these show notes emailed to you, um, or just take a look at them in your podcast player of choice. So that's, uh, that's all good, exciting news for you guys. Cool. One of these days, maybe we'll have somebody else to do the podcast for us, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting on Lex and uh, all the Amazon technologies to take over for us, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. Well, the first and most important thing is to talk about the reInvent draft. Uh, and we ended the draft with a three-way tie, which is part of the reason why Ryan is here to talk about uh, who actually won this thing. So, Jonathan, uh, you missed on zero low-code application platform and Anthos-like hybrid multi-cloud platform. Uh, but you hit uh, completely on Transit Gateway, cross-regional, and or security group support, uh, which is a fantastic call. Uh, that was your third choice that uh, scored you that point, which is great. Yeah, uh, we did get security group support, but I hear it's on the roadmap. I hear it's on the roadmap as well, but uh, you, you said and or. We were very clear in the uh, the recording that we covered that out, so mm -hmm. good you save. are good. Uh, yes, good save. <laughs> uh, Peter, you uh, missed on Layer 7 egress filtering, uh, and you missed on CloudWatch dependency mapping. Uh, but you did hit on outposts generally available and or shipping, uh, which is the truth of both of those points. Uh, you got both of those. So congratulations to you, Peter, on that win. How do you feel? Awesome. I feel pretty good about that. I was pretty close with the gateway, too. I mean, the, the ingress, if you notice the announcement about the ingress features, it's also egress features um, for uh, directing traffic in and out of your VPC, but there is no Layer 7 functionality yet. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But uh, we did also hear that might be in the future someday. So, 
I'm just going to keep guessing it until it comes up. You're just too soon. (laughs) And then uh, I missed on the cost reduction for the network tier, which I was bummed about. And I missed on visual threat detection modeling uh, for their security tools, although I I almost hit that one, which we'll talk about later. Uh, And then uh, I did hit a device with a camera, like a drone thing, essentially replace the Deep Racer. Uh, It was not a drone, but it was a piano called the Deep Composer. Uh, as well as they updated the Deep Racer with a new uh, widescreen camera and LiDAR radar. So um, I definitely hit that on uh, Sunday Night Live. So overall, we all hit one point, uh, which is great. Congratulations, all three of us, for at least not being completely dense. Uh, then on the artist pick, uh, we all missed artist pick. Uh, we had we weren't even close on that. Uh, uh, Anderson Pack, who also key, uh, headlined on the Intersect show, was the key uh, show of reInvent. Uh, as well as the drones and a bunch of other things that were happening at re- Replay, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, and then in the runner-up category, uh, we did not hit a la carte instances of CPU memory combinations. Uh, we did not hit perpetual free tier. We did not hit on CloudFront deployment and or dev mode. And we did not hit on the year of organizations, although a lot of them did have organizations that wasn't mentioned on stage. And then uh, F1 data analytics, uh, they did cover in Monday night uh, for Peter. So he did get a runner-up, but they are not pointed uh, as the rule state. So uh, nice job hitting that one. But if you put in your yeah. picks, you would have won. <laughs> so that's a bummer for you there, <laughs> Peter. So there you go. That is the the, the skinny on this. Uh, the one I mentioned that I was close on, the visual threat detection modeling for security tools, um, is basically a, a service they call Amazon Detective. Uh, they announced it in a breakout session. They did not announce it on the main stage in any way, although I was, I was hoping Warner was going to mention it, uh, and he did not. Uh, so that was my miss on that. So, uh, Peter, uh, Ryan, how do you feel? How do you feel about this uh, this draft, and, and who who do you think wins it for either creativity or something else? Because this is this is a clear three-way tie. It's this, yeah, I mean, how do you pick a winner? It's a, it's a Sophie's choice. I feel like I'd be doing you a disservice to pick just one. So I think I'm going to leave it a tie, and you guys are all have to share the point. Hey. Right. I paid you good money for this. I paid you. You reneged on that deal. I'm sorry, but I'm going to release the pictures I took. <laughs> Uh-oh. Before you release the ones of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, F1 data analytics was uh, pretty interesting, actually, uh, in Monday Night Live, and they also had a uh, F1 race car at one of the vendor booths uh, on the race f- on the floor, so that was pretty cool. Anyone hasn't watched the Peter DeSantis keynote? It's definitely worth a watch. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's super good. Uh, talks a lot about the uh, HPC computer built on top of Amazon and how you can do that in a big way. So pre-invent announcements, the things that we have to cover here to get us to the main event. We'll get through these pretty quickly here. Uh, so we've broken these out into a couple different categories. Uh, and the first category here is infrastructure platform. Uh, and these include things like uh, cost categories, private links, SES, uh, basic things that are kind of tied to generalness. Uh, and there's a ton of announcements here around application load balancers, uh, et cetera. Uh, but we're going to cover two. Uh, the first one is the Amazon EC2 T instances now support unlimited mode at an Amazon account level. Uh, you can select unlimited mode preference at the CLI and SDK for the account. Uh, and this will change the default setting, allowing you to avoid costly CPU credit issues. Uh, since the T3 and T3A, these systems have started uh, up with it enabled by default. And that's not always what you want uh, if you're trying to leverage those T instances for reduced costs. I, I, don't, I see the problem the other way around. I don't think the problem is extra cost for the T3 instances. I think it's, a, it's such a chore to have to enable unlimited mode for the T2 instances because it wasn't supported in... Um, the launch configurations uh, in CloudFormation, and so you either had to do it on do it on boot in uh, user data or use the new launch templates. But if you already got stuff deployed, then you know you don't have to go back and rewrite that. So I, I like this, but for the opposite reason that they're selling it as. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I just feel like it gets us one step closer to actually paying for what you use. I have the same, you know, like all the times I've seen 
seen this really required is like as Jonathan said, it's like, oh well, we want the cost savings of using a T series, but we don't really want to designate. Oh, our our product count gets gets the CPU unlimited, or you know, different. It changes the difference dynamic between environments, and you know, if you're using a multi account strategy and have you know workloads spread out, it's much easier if you can just do it all at one level. The other uh, bunch of load balancer updates for you guys, uh, weighted target groups for ALB, least outstanding requests for ALB. You can expand the subnet for network load balancers and uh, private IP address selection for internal load, load balancers, as well as, sh- as well as shared VPC support for network load balancers. Uh, so if you're super jazzed about load balancers, uh, quite a few great new capabilities for you there in that group. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, the weighted target groups is probably the most useful for me because now we can do uh, easy blue-green deployments. That's what I was going to say, so I got nothing on top of that. <laughs> Moving on to our next category, which is databases. Uh, you know, several different things around performance insights and Aurora, machine learning, etc. Those are all great announcements. If you're interested in those things, check those out. But the, uh, the two that we're going to highlight here are the Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports differential restore and log restores. Uh, this is a pretty common thing in SQL Server uh, where you potentially want to take a full restore, then a differential sometime later, uh, and apply both of those to the system. Or a full restore, then you know apply logs uh, to the system in like 15-minute increments, for example, is a pretty common pattern. Uh, you cannot do that before. You had to always use a full restore to kind of start your database up on SQL Server, and now you can do both the differentials and the logs, um, which really opens up a lot of really great use cases for migrating to the cloud. So this is a really great uh, feature, in my opinion. Yeah, I wasn't aware that you couldn't do this since I'm not a big SQL Server user. Um, so that's fantastic. I use this all the time on different database technologies. So this is kudos for them on them. Is it only SQL Server? This announcement's only SQL Server. I am not sure um, if this exists already for MySQL or Postgres or if it's going to be coming for those as well. I assume if it doesn't exist today, that it'll probably come in the next few months. Um, but I, I think Postgres and MySQL always have a bit more flexibility than SQL Server did, if I yeah. remember correctly. Uh, the other great announcement was you can now enhance the availability of your existing Amazon DynamoDB tables by adding global replicas. Uh, so previously, uh, if you want to take advantage of that 5.9 availability on Dynamo uh, with the new global table replicas, you would have to basically create brand new tables and migrate your data over, uh, which could be a pretty expensive operation or potentially uh, downtime related that you can't necessarily do in your production application. Uh, so now with this new feature, you can just enable that on a single region database table and now become global region uh, by populating a snapshot of the existing table and then keeping them in sync, uh, allowing you to that sweet, sweet, sweet five nines of availability on Dynamo. I got a pet peeve about this product announcement, though. When they talk about doing it with just a few clicks, I really wish. I mean, I don't think many people listening to the podcast are going to do this with a few clicks. It's going to be CloudFormation or Terraform or some other kind of well, code-driven. You don't want the clicks. No you don't clicks. want the mouse. Stop, yeah, stop talking about clicks. You can do it. A few lines of code. A few lines of code. I mean, the blog is typically always has GUI uh, walkthroughs and then CLI walkthroughs, and I didn't, you know, honestly, we had so much news to get through that I didn't look that closely, so I apologize for insulting you with my language. (laughs) This was a common theme. This isn't just you. This is, I noticed this in a lot of announcements over before reInvent and during reInvent, so there was really hyping the simplicity of a lot of these new feature ads for adding on to existing workloads. So just a few clicks or just a few lines was definitely something I saw a lot of. Speaking of just a few clicks, I'm very happy to introduce our new CloudPod sponsor, Blue Medora. Most large organizations run six or even more monitoring tools. Each of them uses a mixture of data collection techniques from technology providers, open source communities, or custom integrations. And maintaining dozens of integrations across these tools can be a significant investment. 
Bloomadora introduces Bindplane. Not another monitoring platform, but the industry's first monitoring integration as a service. Bindplane can gather data from over 150 technology data sources spanning your entire organization. Remove or reduce your reliance on expensive monitoring and SIM solutions by sending log data to Google Stackdriver, New Relic or Azure Monitor. Check out the extensive list of integrations all provided at no additional cost. Learn more and sign up for a free trial by visiting bloomadora.com cloudpod. The link's available in our show notes and as a bonus for CloudPod listeners, Bloomadora are offering Google Compute Platform credits to help get you started. Buy and plain. Seamlessly stream hybrid cloud and on-premise metric and log data. Security uh, is our next category here. Uh, lots of code stuff here. New partner integrations into Security Hub, uh, publishing log files for RDS SQL Server to CloudWatch, KMS enhancements, Cognito, uh, applications and self-managed directories for Secure LDAP. All really great announcements, but uh, there are several here that took the, tr- took the prize being talked about here on the show. The first one being the CloudTrail Insights. Uh, this allows you to identify and respond to unusual API activity. Uh, this has been launched in all commercial regions. CloudTrail Insights automatically analyzes write management events from CloudTrail Trails. Uh, CloudTrail, yeah, that's weird. CloudTrail Trails and alerts you to unusual activity. Uh, for example, if there's an increase in terminate instance events that differ from established baseline, you'll see an inside event that'll get put into Security Hub. Uh, CloudTrail Insights cost 35 cents per every 100,000 write management events. Uh, activity baselines are scoped to the region and account in which the CloudTrail is operating. Uh, after enabling, it'll take about 36 hours for that first uh, insight to come into play. So. Uh, this is a great way to kind of see anomalous behavior in your account. How many trails could a cloud trail trail if a cloud trail could tail trails? <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. I wonder what that, like, if there's a there's an average ratio of write management events to bill, so people know, could tell roughly, based on the size of their account, how much this is going to cost. I can't tell if that's cheaper, very expensive. It's, it's not one of the biggest things on that bill. I mean, it depends on how many of it depends on how many collateral insights you run into, and so if if you're being compromised, I bet you get a lot of them. <laughs> I bet if you're a normal every day, it's it's probably very low. And so well, I but it's for each event analyzed, not for each. Yeah, not for each reported event. It's for each. Not for, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a hundred thousand events. That's that's a that's a fair amount of stuff. It's, yeah, it sounds pretty cheap. I, I I'm afraid to say that though without testing. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is, is uh. I was talking to a person in one of the Lambda sessions, and he was talking about how expensive their bill was, and uh, it was expensive for the wrong reasons because uh, they had a looping condition. But uh, so even though Lambda is super cheap, you can make it really expensive if you uh, mess up in some ways. So yeah, everything yeah. is uh, dependent on your workload. Is, is kind of the uh, asterisk I would put around any comment that says Amazon is cheap. So. Yeah, this stuff is cool because it's uh, the thing I love about this is even if you shouldn't need it because you should know what to look for. Um, if you're worried about like insider um, attacks and if an insider knows what you're looking for, then they know not to breach those uh, thresholds, kind of like the uh, multiple $9,000 uh, uh, withdrawals from the bank so you don't go over the, the 10K number. <laughs> and uh, this this is going to make it a lot harder, I think, for insiders to do things they shouldn't be doing. The uh, next evolution in Amazon single sign-on has arrived, and apparently that evolution is connects to Azure AD. Uh, <laughs> apparently Amazon SSO now connects to Azure AD 
to leverage their existing identity store. Uh, you can automatically sync user identities and groups from Azure AD, and you can sign into multiple accounts and applications using their existing Azure AD identity. No need to remember your usernames and passwords, and it will be a familiar sign-on experience if you're using Office products. Uh, this is available in all supported regions, uh, and it's actually a really nice feature for those who are in the Azure AD ecosystem for things like Office 365. This is a great enabler without you having to kind of put a bunch of middle layers in between to get to Amazon single sign-on. So I applaud this, uh, this announcement, um, although next evolution is a bit, a bit of a stretch. Yeah, just look how easy it is now to, to bring Azure customers over to AWS. Yeah, just that much easier. Yeah, I mean, the reality here is that a lot of IT shops went to Office 365 a while ago because managing Exchange is terrible. So, you know, they when they migrated that, they moved all the AD functionality over there. So this is a pretty good win, actually. I think this is going to be used a lot, and it's really going to fight off, you know, competitors in the SSO space. You know what's worse than... Um Managing Exchange, Ryan? Nothing. Managing Workmail. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Sting. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, I, think the, I think the part that is kind of uh, net new that I haven't seen yet, which is why they're calling this evolutionary, is the, uh, the ability of automatic provisioning um, into AWS from your single sign. They don't think they support that with Okta um, or any of the other capabilities unless you're using the managed Amazon AD services. Um, so that's, that's pretty nice, actually. Um, that is a little bit of a great feature to kind of compete with Okta in a big way. So nice to see. Maybe that'll come out to other, uh, other players here in the future as well. Amazon Secrets Manager is uh, making it easier to rotate your secrets uh, with, through CloudFormation, including secrets for Redshift clusters and DocumentDB databases. Uh, the automatic rotation uh, will automatically create the Lambda, IAM role, and permissions needed to execute the rotation. So that's a super nice. Uh, Secrets Manager was a bit limited, being mostly focused on Aurora and RDS before, and this uh, constant uh, push out to the other systems and be really great to uh, keep them secure. Yeah, I look forward to the, you know, just the more and more services that they're going to enable automatic rotation on is really going to help a lot of teams because I think that's the hard, one of the hardest things to do is rotate a secret. You have to either do a redeployment or you have to, you know, touch production in some way and so it gets a little ugly but you also want to be secure so it's, it's frustrating. If this is handled for you at the API layer, fantastic. It's, yeah, it's weird, especially because people have been typically passing parameters to CloudFormation. Um, well, not that they should have been, but and so you know the state is maintained in the in, in CloudFormation. So if you go and rotate that secret externally, it doesn't you know no longer ties up with the uh, the state that you think it is. So adding these features, like pulling parameters from Parameter Store directly from CloudFormation now, is pretty cool. I think yeah, you you reference the the parameter and the cloud for cloud formation parameter, and in the parameter store you reference the secrets management secrets. So it's it's not confusing at all to do that, but you can't actually do it the same way. All right, this one's actually pretty cool. Uh, use employee attributes for access control. Uh, this is a change. Uh, traditionally, we use role based access or RBAC. Uh, and these are things like, you know, a finance DBA has access to a finance server plus finance tables in the database. Uh, but as you think about an organization and the number of groups, the number of roles and different needs, the, it gets very difficult to scale this over time as the complexity of the number of roles and systems increases. And so Amazon is now solving this with attribute-based access control, 
uh, or ABAC, uh, you define permissions based on matching attributes. And you can use the any type of attribute in the policies, user attributes, resource attributes, and environmental attributes. And the policies are written of, are as if-then rules. Uh, so you know, if an attribute role equals manager, then she can access file resources having attribute sensitivity equals confidential, for example. Uh, these attributes are, of course, for tags in AWS, which we have talked about on the show in the past that we weren't a big fan of. Uh, <laughs> but this is why they're going this direction. This is the final answer we were looking for. Uh, and there's a couple other announcements coming up here that will help make this more secure for you as well. Uh, but you can now pass these attributes in your AWS session via SAML. Uh, this does support uh, these tags based on sessions, uh, so they're temporary tags. Uh, and they work with things like Auth0, ForgeRock, IBM, Okta, OneLogin, Ping Identity, and RSA. And I assume the AWS SSO, although it was not in the article. It's at this point that I realized how many announcements there are, because I was super excited about this and then reInvent, and now I'm rediscovering this due to all the other announcements I've had to ingest since then. Yeah, just, oh, yeah. I forgot about <laughs> this that This is cool. Yeah. But, but it's really useful because I am has never been fine-grained enough to be able to give different um, you know, sort of persona-based views in the console. And so I think um, this is definitely a step in the direction of, of uh, personas. I don't know about persona-based views. That's actually one of my biggest gripes against IAM is that they give you the same view. It's just when you try to do something, you get an error <laughs> based on your persona. <laughs> <laughs> So coupling this with the next announcement, which is uh, using tag policies to manage tags across multiple AWS accounts, uh, this is a pretty nice thing. So this is a tagging, uh, of course, it creates a strong foundation. You might start to use tags with only the very best of intentions. But things like standardized on names, values, capitalization, and punctuation is a great idea, but challenging to put in practice, especially in an organization across 100 and some odd accounts. Uh, but now with Amazon organizations, you can create and apply tag policies and apply them to any desired Amazon account or OU in the organization or to the entire organization. Uh, the tag policies contain tag rules, and each rule maps a tag key to the allowable values for the key. The tag policies are checked in when you perform operations that affect the tag of the existing resource, and these are all built into a tag or compliance reports. And so a combination of uh, being able to deny, update, you know, deny changing a tag after it's been set, and this tag policies to make sure you have standardized naming and values, uh, and the attributes thing, this is a pretty nice, secure opportunity for tagging in general, which is really great. I think it'd be pretty hard to turn on if you've got a big organization with lots of accounts already, because you got to break things. I was worried about that too. So the tag policy, when you turn it on, um, it will give you a tag compliance report right away telling you that, hey, this many instances don't have a tag. Um, but it won't break them or turn them off or anything like that. But when the next time they get updated by something, um, it'll error then and tell you, hey, you need to now set the tag. Uh, yeah, but if, if, if you have existing auto-scaling groups, then... Well, auto-scaling group doesn't count, I don't think, in that model. But it's, it's really if you change the CloudFormation or you change the Terraform, that's what it's going to tell you, hey, you need to update the, t the compliance tag. This is one I can't wait to test because this is my fear as well. But I mean, if we could, the, having a standard policy that's definable in this way, like I don't know how many, like the billing reports and accounts that I have access to where it's like prod with an uppercase P, prod with a lowercase P, production, yeah. you know, like it's it's everywhere and trying to get that all standardized is really a chore. Yeah, it's just interesting. All the things that were sort of global in your single account all those features have to eventually get elevated up to the orgs level now. I think just being able to run a compliance report against what you want it to look like is probably almost as valuable as enforcement, you know, at least to begin with. Yeah, and they also have a new capability to do tags for new resources. So you could you could create the thing saying I have the standard, and then only enforce it on new resources, uh, and then just have the compliance report to kind of open tickets and then close them out as you want to. So there's there's different ways to do it. Um, so it isn't quite as impactful, but um, it, it's super nice to have it, and capability is fantastic. Yeah, yeah I mean, without enforcing, it's pretty much like pulling crabgrass if you have a pretty decentralized organization. Mm -hmm.
Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. All right. And then uh, there were several new improvements to the WAF. Uh, those include a new uh, rules methodology to allow you to uh, use OR operators. Uh, this allows evaluations that would previously require multiple rules uh, now be in one rule. So you can do if this or this or this uh, instead of having those as separate rules. Uh, and they also remove the uh, 10 rules per web ACL limitation that used to exist as well. They've also provided a new Amazon managed rules capability, which gives you instant protection. The Amazon threat research team maintains the rules with new ones being added as additional threats are identified. Uh, these things are include things like Amazon IP reputation list, admin protection for uh, admin websites like uh, WordPress WP-admin page, core rule sets, known bad inputs, etc. Uh, and the new Amazon WAF now fully supports CloudFormation, which means it probably will be supporting or be supported by Terraform very soon as well. Uh, so that's really great features for the WAF. The WAF is finally growing up, guys. Yeah, there's a lot of partners who are selling subscriptions to those managed lists. Yeah, I think they'll get away from the basic ones like IP reputation and, and move to more high value add uh, yep. subscriptions in the future, which would be great. Yeah, keep everyone moving forward. I love it. I thought Ryan was going to say something. He's the uh, he's the WAF guy. <laughs> he had the unfortunate task of having to deploy this across hundreds of accounts. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that deployment effort was really just a lot of swearing and, and a, a whole lot of uh, project that ended up being non-operational in the end, unfortunately. Um, but largely because of a lot of these shortcomings, right? Like um, you could buy you could buy the simplistic rules, but at the time I was doing this, you know, you had to do that for every account that you managed. You couldn't do it centrally. And so that was a great improvement moving to that. And I think this is the next level where you can you can start, you know, really trusting Amazon to do that protection at a level that's that's higher, right? So I don't want to, you know, the rules that I'm going to write are going to be so simplistic considering the things, you know, that Amazon's going to provide through their machine learning and their, their you know, their, their security feeds. So this really is a fantastic thing. There are security teams that are rejoicing, I am sure. It, yeah, this, this is kind of slightly personal for me as well, not because I've used AWS WAF, um, but because I think using a logic years ago I, they, they suffered from exactly the same problem in that they, they had rules for everything and a web interface but you literally had to scroll through hundreds and hundreds of rules no way to manage them as groups it was it's, it's they clearly had the, the features that we wanted but we just couldn't use them it was just unusable uh, as a UI so Amazon have certainly heard the complaints about the same issues with WAF and yeah this is really cool moving on to uh, DevOps and DevTools uh, the first one uh, is Simplifying cloud provisioning with your Amazon Service Catalog Connector for Jira Service Desk. Uh, this is a simple way to do service catalog deployments with a ticket workflow, uh, all fully integrated into Jira Service Desk. So if you're not using something as heavy as ServiceNow, uh, this is a really great capability and feature to you. Uh, this Connect uh, plugin for Atlassian is free, and you can get it in the Atlassian Marketplace if you want to start creating some workflows uh, that use Service Catalog. Such a refreshing change that it's not $10 per user per month. 
that is a nice change of pace. Uh, there's a couple other things that got announced uh, in here as well. PowerShell uh, for version 4, AppConfig, etc. Uh, the next one, though, I want to talk about is Amazon CodeBill adds support for test reporting. Uh, this allows you to add support for test reporting, giving you an effective and consistent view of your test executions in CodeBuild. Uh, previously, you couldn't visualize your test results in CodeBuild, making it harder for you to troubleshoot test failures. Uh, and with the test reporting, you can view detailed results, trends, and history for tests executed on Amazon CodeBuild for any frameworks that support the JUnit XML or Cucumber JSON format. It was very painful. I totally agree. I've seen lots of people struggle with doing um, testing or debugging problems with CodeBuild, so this is really good. Very happy to see this. Uh, the CDK has uh, gotten that long-promised Java and .NET support, uh, in addition to TypeScript and Python. So if you are uh, becoming a cloud CDK evangelist, which uh, was a big topic at reInvent in general, uh, I think uh, you can now do that in Java and .NET, which is pretty great. How strange I find this. Like, I mean, I, I understand Python. Python's very sort of halfway between. It's, it's halfway to kind of a scripting language. And so I can I can see quickly putting something together in Python and running a script which is building the CloudFormation template for you. But the, the thought that you'd actually use Java to build something as dynamic as a CloudFormation template, then build the application, and then run the application to generate the um, the template seems a little extra work for me. Um, unless there's some kind of other use cases I'm thinking of, like you know you, you programmatically want to create templates. And maybe that's the use case, but that's. Well, I think when they announced CDK, they were really pushing the idea that you, as a developer, you didn't have to leave the language you were comfortable with to do right. cloud formation. And so I think this is why you're seeing Java on .NET is, if you're a Java developer and it's easiest for you to deal with Java constructs, then just write the CDK code in Java that you know and love and and care for, and then you can check it in with your code base without having you know, different languages in the same code repo. I think that's why they're doing this more than. Uh, which I agree with you is it's easier to do this in Python than it would be to do it in Java. Yeah, I guess I, would, I guess I, that's a fair point. The, the Java that I've done has been um, like Android apps, things like that, which mm -hmm. seem you know, enormously bloated for something like CDK. But you can write simple applications in Java, so perhaps I'm being a little unfair. .NET though, nah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> There's millions of developers who disagree with you on that comment. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to move on to the next one here. Announcing cloud debugging uh, for debugging your applications running in the cloud with JetBrains IDE. Uh, this is this uses the AWS toolkit for IntelliJ, PyCharm, uh, WebStorm, and more, uh, which enables you to debug your cloud applications by directly accessing code running in the cloud. Uh, previously, you would have to step through the debug your app, and you had to rely on features such as local emulation, uh, which attempted to replicate complex cloud architectures on your local machine. Uh, I was not at the session where you guys talked about this, uh, but I know you guys were pretty pumped about it. Who was pumped about it? I don't you know. can really I, hear the excitement. I, I know. Who <laughs> <I> was pumped? <laughs> I, was, I thought both of you guys went into this debug thing where they're talking about debugging locally, and you guys were all jazzed. No, that must be oh. somebody. Must be the other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think it's a pretty good idea. I want to know how this works. Like, I like the idea of it, right? But I, like, is it you know, like, I you know, for Lambda, I can see how this would be very neat and very useful. It kind of ties in with the conversation we had about the serverless model versus SAM and how they support different local features, and so you, you never know which one to pick, or or it's it's you kind of want to pick them both really to get a fully featured local development environment. And so, by providing something like cloud-based debugging with the interface being local means they no longer have to really continue working on local testing features for Lambda yeah. because you can make it look like it's local even though it's not. So this is 
this is super. And that's a huge complaint, right? I hear from developers all the time is that they're so used to de deploying things locally or testing locally, but the minute you use DynamoDB in your application for, for your, you know, your key value pairs or what have you, you're like, oh, well, then I got to do this whole thing. And so, and, you know, if this does that local emulation where you can run that test and you can kind of stub out against it, it it's really helpful for keeping your iteration time short. We can finally remove all the print statements from the Lambda functions now. <laughs> <laughs> Still need those for my CloudWatch logs, so I don't know. <laughs> Another uh, CDK preview feature. Uh, the CDK Explorer, this is a plugin for the Visual Studio Code product from Microsoft. Uh, the CDK Explorer uh, allows developers to visualize CDK apps uh, in the sidebar. Uh, it's seamlessly integrated with the UI, and you can look at this uh, in, as you're writing the code natively. So if you want visual uh, confirmation that you put that load balance from the wrong place, this will tell you in visual style, in Visual Studio Code. So that's very cool. Uh, I, like, I haven't played with this one yet. I downloaded uh, the latest version of the Amazon Toolkit uh, for VS Code, and I haven't uh, got a chance to play with it yet. Which then would mean I have to learn how to do CDK. So I guess it's a good forcing function just to see the pretty graphs. You guys are just stunningly on top yeah, of this. Yeah, we can get some coffee in this room or something. Like, is there? Like... Do you actually <laughs> use uh, Visual Studio for development? Yeah. Uh, I jump between Sublime Text and Visual Studio Code quite often. I only use Visual Studio at this point. I've fallen madly deeply in love with it, and I could not go back to Sublime or anything else. And the, the cool thing, it integrates natively into Docker now. Uh, so it, you literally can maintain your Docker images right there in the VS Code product. You know, you can run dev environments in Docker containers natively. It's, it's pretty sweet. Uh, I can execute my code locally in a container that I've predefined, or I can have it SSH to a machine and run over there. I can do all kinds of really cool stuff. And it's got a ton of support for, uh, for all these plugins for, like, Terraform linting and, you know, like, whatever have you. You guys should go after them for some sponsorship so we can, you know, help them yeah. some more. <laughs> dear, dear Microsoft, we'd like you to sponsor the, pod, the Cloud Pod so we can talk about using Visual Studio Code for Amazon, please. Yes. yes. <laughs> makes, makes perfect sense. We were almost entirely Adam um, at Foghorn, and now people are migrating. Adam, really? Adam's pretty old. Adam had its heyday, and then it that just yeah. became a chore. And then TextMate before, <laughs> before that even was the other one that was out there. But if, if you use JetBrains, though, you get, you know, built-in debugging, so... I mean, if I wanted to use an IDE that takes half the memory in my box, I'd just use uh, Apple's development tool. <laughs> yeah, really. Xcode. <laughs> I think it's still downloading, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you win the lightning round. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, and the last one in the DevOps Dev Tools section is uh, Beanstalk. Uh, they have two features, uh, Amazon support for EC2 spot instances, as well as Coretto support natively in Beanstalk. So you can use uh, Coretto 8 and 11 uh, if you're using a Java app that wanted to move over to that now in Beanstalk natively. So uh, if you're a Beanstalk uh, person and you like to use it, uh, this is a nice feature for you to be able to save a bunch of money. So get to it. It's one of those things I never thought wasn't there. I think the, I'm most surprised. I mean, I get I get the spot wasn't supported because people typically use Beanstalk for long running things like web services or uh, batch processing things. But the fact that they didn't support Coretta until now is just crazy, and it's not yeah. even not even GA. Yeah, that was and Amazon Linux too. I think as well is also part of this announcement that's new. I uh, was really more surprised that I heard Ryan Lucas at reInvent say that he loves Beanstalk now. So that was I, I am a convert. I have seen the light. I had to study it extensively. 
Nice. And uh, I've never really used it, so you know the the proof is in the pudding. But like all the features as I was going through, it was like, oh, it does this. Oh, it does that. You know, like it really does. And now that it's added spot support, you know, if you really don't want to think about the underlying infrastructure, why would you? I mean, if it's going to manage the load balancer, you can provide your own custom AMI environment for all these things. Like it's it does Docker containers. You can supply that. Like what's really the point at a certain, you know, so all the old complaints that I used to have about Beanstalk, about its inflexibility and its inability to do just that one thing that I really needed to make my app work on it. It's they seem to address all those things. And so now I like I can't wait to try this out and see if it actually lives up. It's like a, it's, it's kind of like a, a parallel of Lambda serverless, really, except it's serverful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the next thing, right? Is it'll be Beanstalk support for Lambda functions. Yeah. I mean, it was really uh, a Heroku-type app when they designed it, right? It was designed to take over that Heroku use case. Um, and so that's what it was designed for initially. It's a pass player. Yeah, there's still too many times when the solution to a problem with a stack is um, delete the stack and recreate it. No one's got time for that. Well, not to mention if it's prod stack, it's not always as fun as it sounds. So, but I mean, they have all the new features, which I, uh, you know, whereas you can, you can swap the URL between two Beanstalk environments, or you can, you know, like you can actually deploy Beanstalk in such a way that it'll replace half its instances at once and then do the other half. Right. You can do a rolling deployment. Like they have all these things now that have really beefed it up a whole lot to where even if you have to de- delete the whole stack, you're switching the URL under the hood. And you're just pointing at the other other stack, and you're done. At this point, I'll just mention a congratulations to Ryan for getting his DevOps Pro certificate. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yay. Congratulations. Uh, I, uh, this is not my first attempt, and the first attempt was a lot of Beanstalk questions that I had no clue how to answer. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on this service. <laughs> Awesome. So tell me about the command line parameter again. Is it is it minus C or is it minus L? <laughs> it's seriously, you have to know those things. It is it is crazy like how familiar they expect you to get on all the breadth of services that they're testing you on. And you have to recognize the bad CLI command out of your choice of six. <laughs> Speaking of uh, certifications here, uh, someone else got certified here at the Gladpod who uh, adamantly opposed certification no. only like three or four episodes ago. It's a cold day in hell. Yep. Who's that? The pigs are flying. Are <laughs> pigs flying? Congratulations, Jonathan. I'm just cheap. I only did it so that I could get a pro set for uh, for 50% off next time. Nice. <laughs> it's all about that, that discount, that Black Friday sale. All right, enough, enough of the rat hole. Uh, so moving on to the operations and SRE category. Uh, tons of things around application insights for .NET and SQL Server. Uh, CloudWatch contributor insights for Dynamo is out there. Uh, as well as synthetic canaries, which we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, but the first one we're going to cover is the Contributor Insights, uh, which is in preview. This is a CloudWatch feature. Uh, contributor Insights analyzes time series data to provide a view of the top contributors influencing systems performance. Uh, once set up, Contributor Insights runs continuously without needing additional user intervention. Uh, you can use Contributor Insight rules to evaluate partners and structured log events or as they are sent to CloudWatch logs, including logs from CloudTrail, VPC, API Gateway, and custom on-premise and on-cloud servers. And not a mention of machine learning. Yeah. Yeah, how's that definitely possible? not machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, though. Uh, and then the uh, other one here is Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics. Uh, this is uh, the ability to run synthetic traffic to your system at all times. Uh, this 
CloudWatch will collect canary traffic, uh, which can continually verify your customer's experience, even when you don't have any customer traffic on your applications. Enable you can discover issues before your customers do. Uh, Synthetics can monitor REST APIs, URLs, website content, checking for unauthorized changes from phishing, code injections, and cross-site scripting. Uh, and you can use CloudWatch Synthetics to isolate alarming application endpoints and map them back to underlying infrastructure issues to reduce your MTTR. Uh, there is a free tier of this, which you get 100 canary runs a month. Uh, and after that, it is uh, one one-hundredth of a penny run a canary because oh, you get three three free tests a day <laughs> i think we may need to increase the scale of that just slightly to make it useful but well i mean compared to services like um uh pingdom and some of the uh, keynote and those like this is a this is a fraction of the cost of those services so, oh yeah uh this is a great great feature yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder. Like, you know, you look at uh, Route Fifty Three health checks; they're pretty they're pretty expensive by by these standards. So, I kind of like mm -hmm. to think that that price would come down to to meet this one a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and when you can connect them together, you'll be yeah. really set. Yeah, but what a great feature! What a great yeah. feature! No more monitors. I mean, nineteen ninety five call the ones that are monitoring back. Yeah, goodbye, Nagios. <laughs> I do want to use these though and integrate these with uh, infrastructure deployments as in the pipeline for uh, like test-driven infrastructure. Cool. I had the exact same thought is, you know, being able to, you know, deploy these and have it run a series of tests to, to before it switches traffic over or, you know, as it's verifying your canary deployment percentage. Like it is a really fantastic thing to be able to deploy something programmatically, which I don't think you can do with some of those other services. Mm, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of getting into the, the harness territory because harness does the same thing where it gathers metrics for a period after deployment and then either decides to fail back or not. So. I guess it's um, it's enabling automation to do that same type of functionality. I promise. Nobody <laughs> 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 believes me. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, Amazon ECS service events are now available as CloudWatch events. Uh, so previously, you could get uh, task and instance events uh, to CloudWatch, but if a service was changing, like uh, uh, scaling up more tasks or scaling down tasks, uh, that was not sent out as an event. Uh, that is now there. Uh, without having to require you to pull an API like you used to have to do with Lambda. So this is a nice uh, enhancement. Pretty simple one, uh, very quick container feature there. Yeah, but this is invaluable. I mean, so so much problems have been had because there's no there's there's not a great metric for a lot of these events for scaling. So you don't really know other than after the fact, and capacity reservation's always been a bit of a dark art. And without any kind of programmatic event, you can't really react unless you're doing some sort of polling of the service itself, which is frustrating and, and kludgy. So this is great. I think CloudWatch has kind of stealthily turned into a really great way to aggregate events from other services and then feed directly into Lambda or SNS or something like that. Because it, it started off being a cron, basically, but now it's, now it's kind of the aggregation point for any events from any service. Just add a rule. On the serverless area, SAM CLI has simplified deploying service applications. Uh, their Lambda supports some persons and tiles and maximum event age and maximum retries. We won't talk about those here, uh, but if you're curious, check those out in the show notes. And then in the big data ML space, uh, there's tons of Athena updates, several Redshift announcements around spatial data and resizing. Uh, the one I wanted to highlight here real quick was the Amazon Redshift introduces automatic table sort, an automated alternative to vacuum sort. Uh, this new automated way to maintain sort order of data in Redshift tables continues to optimize your query performance. Uh, automatic table sort capabilities offer simplified maintenance and ease of use without compromising performance and access to Redshift tables. Uh, and now automatic table sort is on by default on Redshift tables where sort key is specified. Um, so there was definitely a big push for Redshift performance throughout uh, reInvent and before reInvent. 
Uh, and so if uh, Redshift has been problematic for you performance-wise in the past, it may be much better now uh, and do retest your workloads. I thought it was cool. Uh, across the board, I keep seeing more and more standardization on SQL as uh, sort of the, the new global query language across all data sources, even if they're not RDBMSs. Yeah. Do you think it's the end of the NoSQL era, or do you think this is just a, a weird period in time where NoSQL is kind of in a trough of disillusionment? I, you know, for me, NoSQL was always just this thing that you used when you were just way too big for SQL date for a, a SQL database uh, from a scale, from a capacity, from a global reach standpoint, and then everyone fell in love with them and started using them for their five-user applications, making their lives so difficult. So, yeah, maybe it's time to see a little, uh, little structure again. All right, moving on to uh, IoT. We're not going to talk about any of these, uh, but there's uh, several new features for IoT uh, from the IoT day, as well as Greengrass now supporting containers at the edge, uh, which might be kind of cool for those use cases. And then uh, moving on to our other category, uh, we will skip the 15 additional services received DoD impact level 4 and 5 because you know, they didn't win Jedi, so why do they need those? And uh, we won't really care about the workspaces client for Linux, but we do care about chatbots. And Amazon chatbot can now run commands for you in Slack. <laughs> so you can use a chatbot to retrieve diagnostic information, invoke a Lambda function, and create an Amazon support case from your Slack channel so your team can collaborate and respond to events even faster. So hallelujah on the support case one. I could use that every day of the week. Someone's always asking us in the Amazon room in our, our company a question. And we're like, you should open a support case. And now we just hit Slack, Amazon support, and voila, we have a case. So it's pretty great. I, I hope they fix the needing to know the account ID instead of, the, instead of using the account alias before it goes GA, because that's that's just a showstopper. Uh, I did respond to Jeff Barr when he tweeted about how awesome it was, and I said, except for the part where you used account ID and not account alias. <laughs> uh, and he liked he liked my response to his tweet. So nice. Maybe we'll uh, we'll see something there. Well, that is uh, everything for pre-invent. So, whew, that was a lot. We're at something like 50 minutes on this recording. So, I don't know, maybe like 40 minutes in the actual audio you guys get out in the field. Uh, and we still have a lot to go. So, get another cup of coffee, and let's get to reinvent itself. We're going to, you know, take a stretch, you know. Nobody wants the three-hour episodes, so I'm going to call time on this, and we'll continue the reinvent announcements in episode 51, out in a couple of days. That is the week in cloud. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Blue Medora. Check out our website where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, send feedback, or ask questions at thecloudpod.net, or tweet us at the hashtag thecloudpod. See you guys next week. Bye.